Let me invite you to open your Bibles, please, to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Let's pray together. Father, it has been encouraging, uplifting, edifying to sing of our redemption that is completely a work that you have accomplished through your Son, Jesus Christ, through your own merciful call, through the powerful, illuminating, regenerating work of your Spirit that we've learned about through your glorious, perfect Word. Thank you that we have this privilege to sing of your kind, generous, redemptive work in our lives. Help us now that we would bow our hearts, humble our minds, surrender our wills to your word, to your spirit, to your plan, that we might draw near to you, that we would learn exactly what you'd have us to learn this morning, work in our lives by your spirit and your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Colossians chapter 3, having a list of rules does not ensure obedience to those rules. I've made that statement before, and I'll make it again at some point. It's an important lesson for us to learn. Last Monday, Amy and I went to a park in Somerset, Mass., and we sat in our vehicle talking for a while. And I watched this vehicle back up over here and start moving behind us. And I could tell what was going to happen because I I had already surveyed the scene. I watched as this car began to leave the parking lot. As they were leaving, they drove by a sign that looked like this. It didn't just look like that sign. That's the sign. Now, I know it's not very pretty. And I can understand... That it's the way that it's constructed is a bit confusing, like one do not enter way. That's not how I would write that, and that's not how you would write that. It's a little confusing, I suppose. But does anyone in here not understand what that sign says? It, it says, "Don't go here. Go the other way." Isn't that, that what it says essentially? Yes. Well, apparently. These people didn't see it the same way. So they went the do not enter one way way, and they just kept on going like, like nothing happened. And I just thought it was such a good illustration of how rules do not ensure obedience. We have before us this morning some rules. Rules for marriage. Now, we have the Word of God. It's the Word of God. It's the rules, but it's the Word. And so we have that. We understand that it's the Word. And that we know that the Word of God is alive and powerful. And we know that the Word of God is effective. We know that the Word of God is authoritative. But we also recognize that the Word of God itself cannot produce obedience. And the way that I'll remind you of that is the experience of those Hebrew Christians many centuries ago in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2, in referring to the, the day of Joshua. And here's what the, the author of Hebrews writes. He says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us 
as well as to them, that generation in Joshua's day. The gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So, the word was preached. Now we know that the word is authoritative. The word was preached. We know that the word is effective. The word is preached. We know that it's alive and powerful. But yet it had no effect on that generation because it wasn't embraced. Rules do not ensure obedience. Obeying this passage here in Colossians 3 does indeed prevent tragic effects. So many marriages are a horrible mess. Ultimately, this passage must be seen in its context in order to be properly understood and then properly embraced. The couple that allows Jesus Christ to rule in their home will enjoy a marriage that reflects their king. The couple that will allow Jesus Christ to rule in their home will enjoy a marriage that reflects their king. Now, the reason that we talk about context is because we're not saying, hey, if you do X, Y, and Z, it'll be clearly a reflection of your king. Well, actually, it will be a a reflection of your king, but you just can't do it (laughs) without his grace, without his enablement. And so, here's what we have to understand, just kind of by way of review uh, as we dive into this. He has told us what we are to put off as those who are ruled by our peaceful king. He's told us what to put off as those who are ruled by our peaceful king. Take a look at verse 8. Verse 8. He says, But now you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. He goes on to talk about not lying. In other words, saying, here, I'm, 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 I'm one with Christ, and yet there's no evidence of that oneness. Um, there's no evidence of that unity. There's no evidence of that intimacy. He goes on to tell us what we must put on as those who are ruled by our gracious King. In verses 12-14, through 14, he tells us what we put on as those who are ruled by our gracious King. Look at verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So if we're going to be ruled by our peaceful King... If we're going to be ruled by our gracious King, we put off those things that bring unrest, malice and anger, envy. And we put on those things that produce unity. What is that? Love and peace and, and mercy and, and humility and meekness. Those things are not our possession. The anger and malice, yeah, I guess that that comes from within. Jesus said that it's not that which is outside that defiles a man. It's that which comes from the inside that defiles a man. Our insides are defiled. And when we allow our insides to come out, our natural man, guess what? Bad news. 
anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of our mouth. But when we put on that which belongs to Christ, the peaceful King, what comes forth? Well, that's where mercies come, and kindness comes, and humility comes, meekness and long-suffering. The result of that long-suffering is bearing with one another, forgiving one another, because that's the demonstration that Christ has made in our lives. So we're told to put off us and put on Him. We're allowing Christ to rule. This is the context. And when it comes right down to where we are in our passage, our consideration is in our homes and with our marriage relationship. We must first submit ourselves to our king, and then we can function in the role to which we've been called. To say it another way, I know I'm repeating myself, but it's because this point needs to come forward, and we need to consider it. We must submit to our king, and then we can function in our role. To say it another way, if we do not function in the roles as described here in Colossians 3, We'll also see in Ephesians 5, in Titus 2, and 1 Peter 3, if we do not function in these roles, it is evidence, evidence, that we are not being ruled by our King. So, as we look at these passages, as you look at the demands that it puts upon the wife, as you look at the demand that it puts upon the husband. And if those things aren't demonstrating themselves in your, in your life, in your home, if your home doesn't declare these things, what it tells you is this. Christ is not king in your life. Christ is not king in your home. And what we want, friends, what we need is for Christ to be king in all of our lives. If we're not submitting to our king, we can't expect his blessing. If we're not submitting to our king, we can't expect his protection. If we're not submitting to our king, we cannot anticipate marital bliss. So what I invite you to do is what I have to tell myself, is I need to invite the king. Invite the king to rule my home. And I need to recognize when someone else is ruling it. Because doing it once, not going to get the job done. Because guess what? You're going to wake up tomorrow and the same face is going to be staring you in the mirror. It's your face. And inside of you are all, is all the same corruption that was there the day before, and the day before, and the day before. And so it's a continual surrender of my will to my king. And when there's unrest in my home, the first thing I need to do is to say, I am not surrendered to the will of my king because this is not what kingship of Christ looks like. Does that make sense? Here we are in Colossians chapter 3. When we are surrendered to the will of our king, when he is ruling in our homes and in our lives, it will look like this, beginning in verse 17. Colossians 3.17 And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, 
Do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Here's the first concept that we'll recognize and it has to do with the role of the wife. The king, the king will enable wives to place themselves under the care of their own husbands. The king will enable wives to place themselves under the care of their own husbands. He starts here in verse 18, Wives, submit to your own husbands. The word there, submit, is the term hupotasso. It's a military term. It has the idea of, of arranging oneself under the leader. Placing oneself in proper alignment. Now, think about it. You've got troops going off to battle. And you've got this gung-ho, they call him a hard charger, and he's like, yeah, I know how to do this. And, and he's, he's, he's simply uh, of lower ranks here. But he knows what to do. And so they, they break into enemy territory, and he says, I know what to do. And he blitzes past all of the battle plans. He forgets all of his fellow soldiers. He's not listening to the the word of his leaders. He just goes. How's that going to work out? How's that going to work out? We would all say, what a fool. What a fool. There is no such thing as a one-man army. Now I know you've watched Commando, and I know you've watched Rambo, or Iron Man, or Captain America, or whatever other superhero you've watched, and you've seen them do it, but you also sit there rolling your eyes. Don't you? Don't you? Please tell me you know it's not real, right? Okay, I'm, I'm glad we've got this established. The superheroes aren't real. There is proper order. Now, to understand it, it's, it's to place oneself under, and, and really when you put it in the context of marriage, it's to place oneself under the care of your husband. The care. Now, we're not talking about this, this wooden, um, detached entity. We're not talking about military in Colossians 3.18, though there's a military term used. So we're not talking about this detached, yes, I'm the leader, and you're just simply the peon. Not like that. When the the wife is placing herself under, she's placing herself under the care, the provision, the leadership, the love, the guidance, and the protection of her husband. There is a great, great difference. We're not talking about the disorderly homes that have been created from a dominating male. We're talking about proper order that God has established. Let's contrast verse 18, the word submit, with verses 22, 20 and 22. There's another word in the same kind of a, of a home order. Now I say home even in the verse 22 because the context there is that there would have been house slaves, right? They would have been actually part of the home. Now, we're going to talk about it next week as uh, beyond that into the workplace as employee-employer because there are so many reasons to, to, um, to illustrate it that way. But look at verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things. Verse 22. Bondservants, obey in all things your master's 
according to the flesh. Look again at verse 18. Wives, what does it say? Does it say obey? Is there a difference? There is a difference. It says submit. It doesn't say obey. They're not like this, this lower entity that are, is to be bossed around. Well, nor our children, nor our uh, bond servants. Uh, there's just a different relationship. The topic that we're talking about can bring a lot of tension to the forefront to those who don't like structure. What we must understand in approaching this subject matter is that this is not saying men are more valuable, men are smarter, men have more worth than women. It doesn't say any of those things. In fact, that would be contrary to the whole of Scripture. The Scriptures tell us that both male and female are made after the image of God. His image is implanted upon both of them. All of the commands of Scripture are written with regard to both men and women. The benefits of redemption all benefit both men and women. Heaven will be filled with both men and women. And so what we have to understand is that there are these relationships in the Bible that are, that are role-oriented. What we can call, they have dual roles. And I want us to see, just very quickly, three relationships in the Scripture that are talked about that have this duality to them. First of all, let me point you to the Trinity. You ever hear of them? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now we know that the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, it's the great Shema of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. See that oneness? Very important. Now as we watch the Scriptures unfold, and as we see the ministry of the Lord Jesus come forth, and you see Him ministering, you'll remember these statements that come up on a, on a semi-regular basis. My meat is not to do my own will, but to do the will of Him who sent me, and to finish His work. You see, while the Spirit and the Son, and the Father all reside as co-equal with regard to their being and their essence. They're the only ones that have that essence of full deity. They're the only ones that, that, that are God. At the same time, that same union, that oneness that is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, they, they have dual roles. And those roles are the Son willingly submits His will to the Father's. And the Spirit willingly points His way toward the Son. And His message is about the Son. The Spirit doesn't point Himself to His own ministry. He points Himself to the Son. And and that's His way. He points to the Son. The Son operates in accordance with the Father's will. And so there's this subjection in and among the Godhead. As you look at another relationship, you look at the church. The Bible tells us many times that the church is one. There's there's to be union and unity among the church. There's oneness and, and equality among each one. Each individual is just as valuable as a believer to the next. And yet, even in the face of that, there are roles that must be in play. Where the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17... 
Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. And so you see in the body, it's, it's one. You can see it in Hebrews chapter, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, over and over. And yet, in and amongst that union, that oneness and that equality, there, is, there are roles that must be adhered to. So it is in the, the marriage relationship. You'll remember back in Genesis, one of men's favorite verses, verse 18, God saw that he was alone. It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper compatible with him. A helper that's meet for him. A help meet, one who comes alongside, one who administers to, one who is a companion with. And so we look at that, that and then thus we have this, this incredible scenario in which God takes from Adam's side his rib and, and takes this rib and forms from it woman. And, and God causes Eve to be alive and he brings Eve to the man and he says to them, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Ready? You know the rest of this. And they shall become one flesh. God has told us that the Trinity is one. God has told us that the church is one. God has told us that the husband and wife are one. So this speaks to the permanence of marriage for sure, but it also speaks to the union of marriage and how that functions together. So I wanted to do for a couple of moments is take a look at a parallel passage from Colossians chapter 3, and I want us to take a look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. The king will enable wives to place themselves under the care of their own husbands. And we're talking about them in this relationship that is one, where Jesus says, what, what God has brought together, let not man separate. So we, we recognize the permanence that's involved in that union, but there's that same union uh, interaction between husband and wife that there is between father, son, and spirit. We can see that in other passages as well. And so here we are in Ephesians chapter 5. Again, just like Colossians chapter 3, he has prepared us for this place. He doesn't just list the household rules. Now, a lot of commentators, you'll read them, and and they give good information, and they call these household codes because they're they're following the the mentality of the first century, and they they say, well, there were these household codes, and and so we have one of those kind of adapted into the New Testament. Sure, I can understand all of that. What I will tell you, the distinction between a household code outside of Christianity, household code inside biblical Christianity, the Bible doesn't just give us a list of rules. Remember, rules do not and cannot ensure obedience. Just like Colossians 3 prepared us for Colossians 3.18 and following, so also Ephesians 5 prepares us for Ephesians 5.22 and following. And the way he does that is very similarly, he wants us, he tells us, he demands from us, we cannot be uh, 
filled with wine. We cannot be controlled by alcoholic beverages, but instead, don't be filled with with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And he tells us the results of that filling of the Spirit, verses 19 through 21, very similar, almost identical to the results of putting on Christ in Colossians chapter 3 and allowing the Word of Christ to dwell in us richly. It's to to, um, give thanks to God. It's to sing and rejoice, to praise God, to have grace in our hearts, and to submit to one another. That's the the outworking. And then, having prepared us for for that and telling us what the the evidence of the, the filling of the Spirit is, he then moves to household code. He's prepared us for it. He says the Spirit is the key to this. Just like in Colossians, union with Christ is the key to it. The Word of Christ is the key to it. So we have the key to Ephesians 5 being being filled or controlled by the Spirit. We're talking about allowing the King to rule in our lives. Verse 22 now. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So he gives us a command, gives wives a command to submit to your own husband. This is not putting women under men, it's putting a wife under the care of her husband. Think about that. If you were to understand first century living, women were beneath men. Across the board. I'm not talking about biblically. I'm talking about in society. So this is really revolutionary. What he has just done under the power of the Spirit is to say, listen, I want to free you from this this lordship of men over you. Here's what I want you to tell you is the biblical mandate. The biblical mandate is that the wife places herself under her own husband. Singular. She places herself under his care and protection. What is the reason for this? The husband is the head of the wife. Now the word head, there's been all kinds of ridiculous grammatical literary studies on this. because They, they, they want to try to eliminate this concept of male headship. They, they want to just just end it. And so they come up with all these schemes and they say, well, really, the word kephale is, is like a, a, a river head. And, and so really he's the source of. And so you're saying, well, the women come out of men. Well, in the sense that Eve came out of Adam, that could be true, but certainly not after that. Any, any of you men ever give birth to a woman? See, they, they jump through all these things. They want to just change, change the word. Guys, ladies, please. It's the word. It's the word. Let the word rule. The word is true. And so when it says head, he's talking about the one who, who has this responsibility. Has this, this major responsibility. So the reason for this submission placing under is because the man is the head of the wife. This is the way God has designed it. The comparison that he makes is that it's the same as Jesus Christ. (laughs) Wow, this is really, um, this is something else, friends, men. You shouldn't be feeling good right now. You shouldn't sit there 
and say, yes, woman, submit. What you should be saying is, oh, so what you're saying is the, the wife has this role like that is equivalent to the church. The church benefits from the headship of Christ. The church is protected. The church is redeemed. The church is secured. The church is continued. The church is sanctified. The church is glorified through the work of Jesus Christ, their head. And so with this comparison comes an an amazing responsibility for men and really should be this freedom for women to say, yes, that daunting task is for someone else. I will place myself under the care of my husband because this is God's design. He says, as Christ is the head of the church, he is the savior of the body. Now, keep keep your mind here in Ephesians because this is the the text that we're, we're thinking about right now. But at the same time, I want you to head over in your Bibles to the book of Titus chapter 2 because it really helps us a little bit more in our understanding of this. In Titus chapter 2, we have one of those great discipleship passages, how um, ladies, older ladies in the church should be ministering to the younger ladies in the church and teaching them things. And it's teaching with word, but it's also teaching with example. The, the wording there is very clear. So it's not just, hey, let's have this class and I'm going to teach you all these things well, with my words. It is that, plus it's also demonstration in the life. And so by their sober living, they demonstrate sober living. See, take a look at Titus chapter 2 and verse 3. It says, The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior. See, they're, they're demonstrating. Not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish. And that's that concept of admonish with word and deed that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Same writer here in Titus 2 as Colossians 3, as Ephesians 5, his name is God. And he used the same penman to record it. Paul. Now we believe that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be what? Maturing. It says mature, but just get it in your head. It's maturing, thoroughly equipped, unto every good work. And, and here's what he says. We need to be teaching our young ladies how to do what they're supposed to do in marriage. And part of that is this obedience or this submission to their husband. What is the consequence of not following the biblical model? It says the word of God is blasphemed. The word of God is blasphemed. Now, those are heavy words. Those words should not be taken lightly. And so we're looking at this biblical order in the home and this 
saying, yes, I'll place myself under my husband's loving, selfless, sacrificial, leading, nourishing. We're going to talk about those things in a couple of minutes. Wow, look at what time it is. You guys, anyone, are you guys hungry? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> oh. I'm going to place myself under his care. And to not do that is to blaspheme God's word. To blaspheme God's word is, is to blaspheme him, isn't it? Isn't it? Is this a serious sub- subject? Is it important that the king rule in our homes? He must. He must. To what extent, we might ask ourselves, and I don't want to have you turn away from Titus here, because we have another verse that we want to make reference to in that context. To what extent is this submission? It really is, and I'll summarize by quoting S.B. Clark, good name, No part of her life should be outside of her relationship to her husband. What does that mean? There's nothing hidden. We don't say, well, you know, that's that's my business. Now, the pocketbook, guys, stay out of there. It's not your business. We're talking about the rest of life. We don't have hidden, hidden parts of our lives that really, well, our husband doesn't have any part in this. That's not the way it works. We're, we're a unit. We are, we are united together. Remember, we're placing ourselves under the protection and care of our husband. That's the concept. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 5, the Bible says it this way, For in this manner, in former times, holy women who trusted in God, key point, also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Why did I make a a pause there in the middle of that verse? The reason, ladies, that you place yourself under the care of your husband is because you trust God. And God told you that this is the way it works. This is the design that I have made. This is how it functions well. This is how it works the right way. Do it my way. Trust me. And I ask you, ladies, not verbally, not externally, I ask you, do you trust God? Do you trust God? Do you believe He knows what He's doing? It can be hard. It can be hard, ladies. And I do not underestimate that at all. I have talked to many people in many situations about many circumstances and my heart breaks when there is a husband who doesn't get it. They don't understand the privilege and the responsibility that it takes to rightly, appropriately, lovingly lead his home. Who is God asking you to trust? Your husband? No. Him. You trust Him. And as you trust Him, well, your husband will make all kinds of mistakes. He will. Every one of us have 
And every one of us will make mistakes. Because you trust God, you say, okay, this is the way this is going to go. I know there might be a, a negative consequence to this pathway, but I trust God. Now, are there exceptions to whether a wife can say, you know what, dear, I'm not doing that? Are there? There are, right? Just like in any context of life, when someone abuses their authority and causes us to disobey God and His Word, we cannot follow through. We must obey God rather than men. Uh, with that being said, I want to I shift our attention just for a moment. If you'll bear with me, I'm trying desperately to, to, to push forward here. Wives, their primary call in the, the passages that relate to husband and wives is this concept of, of placing ourselves, placing yourselves under the loving protective care of your husband. There is also, however, a call, particularly in this Titus 2 passage, to love him. To love him. Look what it says again in verse 4. Remember, they're to teach or to admonish the young women to, what does it say? Love their husbands. Now that is the friendship kind of love. It's phileo or philae love. It's the idea of companionship. So God is telling the older ladies in the church to teach the younger ladies in the church how to be friends with their husband. Well, why would that be such an important thing? Because husbands can be boneheads. And what can happen is there can be a tiresome difficulty in trying to come alongside of him because of how much of a knucklehead he is And so you can lose some of that friendship element because it starts to feel like, you ready for this word? Duty. It starts to feel like duty. Oh, I've got to do this, and I've got to do that, and I don't really like doing this, and I don't really like doing that. And so God says, older ladies, teach the younger ladies how to be a companion, how to be a friend to your husband, how to have this friendship kind of love with him. Just a few suggestions. I can't take a long time on this. I've already taken too long already as far as this portion of our discussion. As a friend, the wife must be trustworthy. Trustworthy. I'll remind you of uh, Proverbs 31, verses 11 and 12, that passage that, known as the virtuous woman. The heart of her husband safely trusts her so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Friends, ladies, if your husband can trust you, if he knows you are looking out for his good, what a friendship can develop. I hate to use my family as illustrations. God has graced me with a trustworthy wife, a friend. There's nothing, nothing I wouldn't share with her. There's no burden I wouldn't carry with and for her. This is what happens, friends 
when your husband can trust you as a friend. Additionally, as a friend, the wife must be sacrificial. Not always the things that you think are the best and what you need and what you feel, what you desire. Saying, you know what? What's best for our family? What's best for, for us as a couple? What's, what's best this way instead of what, what I personally want to hold on to? Sacrificial. As a friend, the wife must be supportive. Can I, can I bang on this one just a, a moment here? Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Listen, listen carefully. When difficulty comes, and it has and it will again, when difficulty comes, when failure occurs, the one person the husband should be able to trust to be on his side is his wife. Listen, so many women, when their husband loses their job, flapping their gums to him, to anyone else that will listen, undermining him. Maybe don't even intend to. It might not even be the, 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 the desire of her heart, but, oh, we've got this problem, we, we can't, and he can't keep a job, and he keeps switching jobs, or this or that, or the other thing. This, listen, the one person that should be there when difficulty strikes, if no one else is, it should be your friend. Carol Mack, wife of Wayne Mack, wrote this, If the wife is going to be her husband's friend, then she needs to listen to him when he is hurting, support and encourage him when he makes mistakes, enter into his problems without being critical, and be understanding of his weaknesses. This is what a friend does. As a friend, the wife must be sensitive. As a friend, the wife must not be comparing. Well, so-and-so's husband. Well, that family has. That family can. That family does. What do you think that does to your friendship with your husband? It just makes him feel insufficient. Makes him feel lonely. Makes him feel, man, I just can't do enough. That does not bring out the best in your husband. What brings out the best in your husband is when he fails, when he falls, you say, hey, I'm here. I'm here. It's me and you. Me and you with the Lord. There's no better team. Me, you, and the Lord. I'm going to ask you, ladies. Is Jesus king in your home? Is Jesus king in your home? If he is, you'll be supportive and loving and kind and and uplifting of your husband. And you'll be willing to place yourself under his care even when his care isn't everything it ought to be. That's because you trust in God and Jesus is your king. Is there a better king 
There isn't. Is there a more trustworthy person? There isn't. Trust Him. Do it His way. Now, I'm not going to run through the the man's responsibility in seven minutes so that we can get this done, because that really wouldn't be fair to any of us. But I have to at least touch it. So if you'll bear with me for a few more minutes, please, to touch on this. The king will enable wives to place themselves under the care of their husbands. Now, as we turn the attention to the husbands, the king will enable husbands to selflessly love their wives. Hopefully only one of them, like one wife, but husbands, wives, one husband, one wife. You got, you got it. We're not talking about polygamy here. Just husband, wife. I have to say this. Have you heard about the guy who, who has a nagging wife? Talk, 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 he said to his friend. That's all my wife ever does is talk, talk, talk. His friend responded, well, what does she talk about? I don't know, she don't really say. How about this one? A man was lamenting his wife, uh, lamenting to his wife the results of a study he had heard. He said, I heard that women speak 30,000 words a day and men only 15,000. She replied, that's because we have to repeat every word we say. (laughs) He looked over and said, what was that? Why bring up these silly illustrations? These loving of necessity requires listening. Guys, do you hear? You hear what she says? Do you hear how she feels? Do you hear what she at least expresses that she needs? Do you hear her weaknesses, her hurts, her disappointments, her discouragements? Do you hear her? If you're going to love her, you've got to hear her. When Jesus is king in you, when Jesus is king in your home, you will love her, and one of the ways you love her is by listening. Take a look again. You're at Colossians 3. You might not be there, but I'm just going to read to you verse 19. You know what it says. Husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. In Ephesians chapter 5, we already read a part of it, beginning in verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her, that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present her to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So much to be said. Our love for our wife is to be reflective of Christ's love for His church. Selfless. Sacrificial. And sanctifying. Selfless. Sacrificial. 
and sanctifying. Will you please just let that drum around and roll around in your heads, men, as we go through this week. Selfless. Sacrificial. And sanctifying. Now who sanctifies? God sanctifies. What does He use? The Word and the Spirit. How is the husband involved in the sanctification of his wife? Same way I have the privilege of being involved in your sanctification process. Pointing you to Him. By pointing you to His Word. Look. 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 Now we're not talking about one of these. This. You know what this does? This does this. Stop pointing at me. point here we admit our failures we admit our desperate need we remind ourselves of our desperate need we remind ourselves this is not demonstrating that christ is king in our home this is not demonstrating that christ is king in our relationship right now look at this conflict we're involved in look at this way we're responding to this tragedy or this difficulty or this challenge this is not evidencing the fact that Christ is king in our lives we're pointing her as we're pointing ourselves and we're pointing our children we're pointing our neighbors we're pointing our fellow believers we're pointing each other to Christ sanctifying love there's no better thing than to feast upon the goodness mercy and grace of God. Men, do not miss that responsibility. God says, love your wife the same way, just as Christ loves the church. And He gave Himself for her. And then it illustrates that He is washing her with the Word. Love your wife like Christ loves the church. You must wash your wife with the Word. Does that mean pointing at her? This is, I'm, I've given you the lesson this week. I'm, I'm going I'm to lead every kind of discussion on biblical things. No. But what does Jesus say about this? And Maybe you'll learn something when you listen to her. Maybe she might know something about Jesus and the Word. Maybe the Spirit might illumine your mind as you listen to her tell you about what she's reading in the Scriptures or what God is teaching her through Scripture and devotion and her understanding of Him. It's, this is not a one-way street, friends. So I'd love to go on more. I actually could have had about 45 pages worth of notes this morning. I actually only took five of them, and we got through three and a half. How's this working out? My, my plans are just constantly being thwarted. Except for this. Every week we continue with this subject, you're going to keep on seeing that screen that asks you and, and, and asks me the same question. Do you let the king in your home? Don't leave here with this just a theory. Let the king in your home. Let him, ladies, teach you, enable you to Place yourself in a vulnerable place. Men, 
let the king teach you to be selfless and sacrificial and looking for opportunities to build your wife up with the word. He can do this. This is why we don't separate the the demands from the context because the demands are only met by what God has already supplied in Jesus Christ. Let him rule you and see what he does. These things will come to pass if Jesus is ruling your heart. If they are not coming to pass, you can know Jesus is not ruling your heart. Let's pray together. Father, I admit I had other plans. I had plans to be tying this up, and it is not your plan for that to be finished. You obviously intend for us to consider these important, intimate, personal, real-life concepts to continue to come across our attention. I submit to you that it must be because we need it. We must need to learn further to surrender our heart to you and to learn how that works in our homes. Dear God, I pray for those who are wives here or those who are to-be wives that you would be teaching these truths to them and revealing, revealing in their own lives what they need to know. Maybe, maybe there's been some struggle with this. May they connect that with their struggle to allow Jesus to be their king. And maybe there are some husbands who would rather not hear what their wives have to say. May they not only be willing to hear their wives, but that they would connect that lack of listening and connect it with the fact that it's because they're not letting Jesus rule in their hearts as their king. May we learn, may we surrender to you and thus fulfill the roles that you have committed to us. I thank you, Father, for marriage. I thank you that you've given us that grace of life. We ask that in the process of our learning and our growing in these areas, that we would be putting the king on display and reflecting the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.